So, as many of you know, we had our kids' week a few weeks ago. And um, like I talked in last week's message, I was a part of the skit. And a lot came from that skit, a lot of children laughing, a lot of good times. Um, But the thing was, is I was the bad guy. I was Edward Schwartzbart. And he was the bad guy in the skit. And he stole, he was trying to steal the treasure from the main, you know, good guy, so to speak. And this is great. Kids laugh. They loved it. The problem is, though, when you're the bad guy in the skit, kids can't separate the skit from real life. And so after, you know, as the week was progressing, you know, there was one morning I came in and we got, we're getting everything set up. We're getting ready to get started. And this one kid looks over at me and he goes, bad guy. And I'm like, ha ah, yeah, that's cool. And, you know, I went to give him a high five. And I promise you, the kid ran up me and swung like a little drunk. Like he just kind of just swung at me. And I, I kind of backed up and I was like, whoa, like this kid swung at me, you know. And like I put him in a headlock and brought him to his mom. <laughs> Some of you did not laugh. That was a complete joke. <laughs> complete joke. Wow. Um, it's okay, we, we're in church, but we can, we can loosen up a bit. Um, so anyway, you know, so anyway, I thought it would be done then. Um, but we go ahead, we have the skit for the day, and as the room goes to pile out, there's all these kids, and it's almost like group mentality, which is a terrifying thing. Because one kid goes, bad guy, you're bad, and he starts swinging at me. Then other kids like, hey, this is a good idea. And all of them start, some of them were throwing things at me and kicking, and I'm like, you are small, what do you, I, 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 what do I do? That was just kids being frustrated at you is terrifying. And so here's the thing. What I concluded from that was kids week would go smoothly, would have went perfectly. There would have been no bumps if there were no kids. (laughs) Seriously. Um, But here's the thing. Why? Because anything that we do, whether it be church, whether it be kids week, whether it be uh, an event, when you add people into the mix, it gets messy. And sometimes as adults... We can still act like kids. Sometimes as adults, we can kind of feel this way too, that, oh man, when too many people get involved, it gets messy. And so what we've been talking about is, hey, look, we are growing. We are getting older. Some of Most of us in here are adults, and if you're younger and you don't consider yourself adult, hey, we're going to give you the heads up on life early. So feel free to listen in and hang out with us tonight. But the thing about being an adult is this, is that we try to do things right, but sometimes we act like children. And so the verse that we've been looking at to kind of give us um, some ideas for this, this series is 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and it says this. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. And we talked about last week the difference between childlike and childish. See, childlike, we see a child leaning on their father. We see a child leaning and expecting and needing. I need food. I need shelter. This kid leans towards their father for all of these things. That's being childlike. That's what the Bible commands us to be. But childish is where we, where we start to see children who are childish. They are, they are selfish. They're self-centered. Everything's about me. Everything's about my comfort, my joy, my peace. And what we realized last week is those Mindset, that mindset leads to sin and leads us to have a childish faith. And so we kind of talked about the difference. And what we realized last week was God's power protects and fuels our faith. See, most of the time we can make our faith about us when 
honestly, it's about the Lord. It's about him who gives us faith. It's about him who empowers us. And when we make it all about us, we miss out on the object of our faith. And so sometimes we kind of need that reminder. Last week was nothing new. It wasn't like an aha moment, but it was something that we could learn to continue to keep in our minds that we need to refresh ourselves of that truth. And so tonight I want to ask this question. Well, okay, if God is the source of my faith, if God grows my faith, if when I make it about him and that's where my faith grows, then, then how does God design me to live out my faith? And see, the way that God has you and I to live out our faith, the answer to that question is with others. Rick Warren said this, that our relationship with Christ is personal, but God didn't intend it to be private. In The Purpose Driven Life, which I'm going to be quoting a lot from tonight, he says at one point that, I forgot what I was going to say about that, so we're not going to say about that, but um, tonight we're talking about fellowship. And when you hear that word, we were talking, a few of our friends were talking last night about this, and someone's like, I really hate the word fellowship. And simply because we've kind of watered it down to be something that it's not. So like, for instance, we could be like, oh yeah, hey, let's fellowship. And that can easily turn into just hanging out, having coffee. It could turn into, hey, let's have donuts and just kind of talk to each other. Let's watch movies. And see, these are not bad things. These are great things. These, this builds friendship. But see, there's a difference in friendship and in fellowship. See, I think many of us, we friendship really, really well. Like, we're hanging out, we're encouraging one another. Like, it's, it's great. But when it comes to fellowship, see, fellowship is, is a completely different thing altogether. It's where we're involved in each other's lives. It's where we lean on one another. It's where that we go be into the kind of like the deep end out of the shallow end. But here's the issue. See, the issue is this, that we at this point in time live in the most connected world that we've ever had. Like, I don't have my phone on me, but if I did, I could call someone across the United States. I can call someone across the world that we are the most connected generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. But statistically, we are the loneliest. Statistically, we have anxieties that, that people have never had. We hide behind our computer screens and our cell phones, and we can't like sometimes live real life, that we kind of can't get out of the digital world that we find ourselves in sometimes. I was looking through Instagram, and you know, Instagram's like the highlight reel of everyone's life, so I'm like feeling jealous, but I'm like, wait a minute, it's not always this perfect. So I was kind of going through it, and I saw, I came upon one of my friend's pictures who was just really going through a hard time. Um, I, I knew what was going on in his life, and there's a lot of intense things going on, but I'm seeing this picture, and it's like, like they're doing some really cool things, and everyone's commenting under it like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, that's so cool, that's so great, I wish I was you guys. And that made me think something. I wonder how many of us can feel like we look out at everyone that we know, and we say, man, their life is all together. Like, they're going good, they're doing well, like, but I'm broken, like, why can't, and we can kind of almost feel isolated and alone. And see, the truth is, is that our faith is designed to be lived out with others. That, that without fellowship, that our faith, my faith, your faith, will fall apart. Because God requires us to work together. If you take your Bible and you kind of open it a little bit, and you kind of get past all, like, the introduction things and the table of contents and the maps, and 
if you, you won't even go a millimeter deep before you hear God say these words as he creates the Garden of Eden, creates everything, creates Adam, Adam names the animals, and what does he do? He says it's not good for man to be what? Alone. And so that's in a perfect, unfallen world that our God says it's not good for man to be alone. So then you and I, when we hear that, we have to realize something. Hmm, maybe my faith is meant to be lived out with others. But see, why is this hard? Because if you think about children, like when they're playing with each other and, you know, they, they, they push each other down or something happens where the, the child runs over, right, and goes, they hurt me. I don't want to play with them anymore. I don't, I don't want to talk to them anymore. They were mean to me. And so many times in life, we could kind of do the same. We could say, you know, people are mean. People are harsh. People hurt. And that's the truth. And maybe you're saying, well, Andrew, like, like, this is all cool and stuff, but why would I want to open myself up to that? See, we can kind of so easily, and I'm including myself in this, keep people at arm's length. You know, people, like, maybe you walked in here tonight and someone's like, hey, how are you? We could be like, hey, man, I'm doing, God's good, things are great. That's what the Instagram photo says. But deep down in my heart, maybe it's not. Deep down in my heart, maybe I, I feel alone. Maybe I, I feel like I don't belong. Maybe I feel like I'm not good enough. And see, we can kind of keep people at arm's length because why? When we let them in, maybe they hurt us. When we let them into our life, when, they, when we trusted them, maybe we got hurt. And so we kind of keep people at arm's length. But I just kind of want to do this exercise real quick. You want to play along, play along with me. But I mean, it's going to be a raise your hand type of thing. It's going to be like elementary school, a little bit all over and again. Raise your hand if this week you felt tired. We'll start it non-lethal. If you felt tired this week, some people didn't. Props to you, all right? We're getting a little tense now. Raise your hand. Actually, no, no, it's not. Raise your hand if you had fast food. We're just going to make this easier this week. Actually, I really don't know if I did. I don't remember this week. I did at some point. Okay. Raise your hand if you... You felt angry this week. We're all friends. We're all family here. Raise your hand if you felt lonely this week. Raise your hand if if this week maybe you're facing a tough situation and you don't know what to do. And we can go on for hours. But here's the thing. If you kind of look around like a lot of people raising their hands. See, we all hurt. And we all struggle. And see, tonight, God designed us to live our faith out with each other. And here's what's at stake. Because a basic human need is community. And so often, we can be in community, we can be known in a room, we can walk into a room, but people know nothing about our heart. We keep them at arm's length. We don't truly connect. And maybe it's from our past, or maybe it's just we say, hey, I'm a private person, but there is an abundance of nutrients that God wants to bring to you and to I, and he just, that he decides to use people for. Let me kind of say that maybe a little bit more clearly. Um, there are so many great things that God wants to bring into my life and to yours, and the vessel that he uses it is through other people. And see, if you and I kind of keep them on arms like, you know what, I've been hurt before, I'm gonna keep them over here. We let our past experiences dictate our current ones. Man, we are missing out on an essential element for our faith to survive. And see, tonight, I want us to be able to look at this. What does it look like for you and I to fellowship as an adult? See, we need to change in our minds tonight what that definition looks like. So we're going to look at Romans 12. And um, this is the Apostle Paul talking. And we're going to see three principles in this text 
that will kind of give us the essentials of what fellowship should look like. And so we're just going to kind of dive in and we're just going to discuss as we go along here. Romans 12 and verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So if we look at it from, if we look at our faith from a childish point of view at this point, a child would say, it's about me, me first. And a child can look at their comfort, can look at their emotions, can look at their status. And see, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, we're going to be sometimes be programmed to think of ourselves first, that we can kind of maybe either think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And so he's kind of taking the scales and bringing it in balance. And so we can kind of think of ourselves first, first sometimes. And we can think of ourselves in two ways. One, maybe we can think of ourselves in pride, where we can kind of say, you know what, I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty great. You know, all these other people, yeah, they're all right. But I, I have my stuff together. We can be prideful. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that's me. I don't know. Or we can be prideful in the sense of insecurity. Maybe you kind of walk into a church, you walk into an atmosphere, and you say, man, I'm not good enough. And see, we begin to be inwardly thinking about ourselves and how we don't compare, how we can't add. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, let's, let's balance out these scales. Think of yourselves with sound judgment. And the sound judgment that he's talking about is, look, we're broken. See, and Christ came and redeemed you and I. Christ came and, and changed the things in me that were disgusting. He grew me up. He changed me. He changes you, redeemed us so that we could be valuable, so that we can pour ourselves out. And so he kind of tries to balance the scales here, and then he says that to each of us, we've been giving a measure of faith. And this is the faith that you and I are talking about cultivating here tonight. He's talking about our talents and our abilities. That Each of us have different ones. Let's continue in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so he begins to compare this to a human body. Like, there's many different parts, right? And he's saying, look, likewise in a church that there are many different talents, many different abilities, that fellowship is about using those and sharing those. That my abilities differ than your abilities. And so when we're all in the same room, it's kind of like a factory. If you walk into, you know, Chrysler, because, you know, you could just do that, I guess. You just walk in to the factory. Hey, what's good? There's not like one person there being like putting together Chryslers. You know what I mean? Like there is a group. There's, there's guys who specialize with the wheels. There's guys who specialize with the, with the body. Some, some people are, are adding the paint. See, many different jobs for one purpose. And see, what Paul is saying, look, like kind of like a body, how a body is, is multiple things that add up to create, you know, one thing, that's what we are here in the body of Christ. This is verse 6, he continues. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. He starts giving examples. He says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service and his serving, or he who teaches and his teaching, he who exhorts, in his exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
And so when we read this text, we begin to see the first aspect of fellowship looks a lot like this. Number one, we are to use our gifts to benefit the whole. We are to use our gifts to benefit the whole. That God has equipped you and equipped me with different abilities that when we share those, it's pretty great. (laughs) But here's the problem. Maybe you're sitting here like, that sounds cool. You know, I don't know what kind of world you live in, Andrew, but when we get people together, it gets messy. Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe you're like, I don't know, like getting too many people, like too many cooks, ruin the stew. You know, maybe that's you. You're like, ah, it's okay. I'll just, you know, sit back here when you're done. I'll check it out, see how it tastes. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's just too much drama, you know, like working with people. But here, Paul begins to like give us this list. And in this list, he kind of talks about the necessary elements that I think that if you and I really considered strongly here tonight, we would see, first off, our definition of fellowship change. But I think we would see a lot change in us and a lot change around us. And so in these next set of verses, we're just going to read through them, then we're going to kind of break it down. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind a diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints or the needs of others, and practicing hospitality. Wow. What a list. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've done all of those this week well. But the question that I have as we're looking at this list is what makes that all possible? It's love. Because without love, we're not able to do any of those things. Love is the doorway that kind of creates us to be able to consider someone else's opinion above ourselves, to be able for us to honor one another, to be us to be like, no, 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 hey, your needs before mine. I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to forgive you. And see, love is that doorway. And so let's kind of go back to verse 9, and it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. See, I think a lot of us are really good. This is going to hurt a little bit. I'm talking to myself too here tonight. Is that we are really good with lip service. Hey, man, whatever you need. Call me anytime. But see, at four in the morning when they call you and they're like, hey, I need a place to stay. You're like, it's four in the morning. <laughs> Hang it up. It's mean. That's really mean. We're good with, with, with saying, hey, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And see, here's the thing. Maybe, to be fair, you ask someone how they're doing, they don't tell you. They keep it in. But as a community, we need to learn how to kind of blast past this because we're great with our words. And see, our intentions are great. But tonight, we can't get our intentions confused with love. So I can go up to you and be like, hey, man, I'm praying for you, brother. Have a good night. And I could walk away being like, man, I showed that guy love. No, I showed him intentions. See, love is, is, is following through. And see, what Paul was getting at, he's saying, look, let your love be not hip- hypocritical. Because a lot of times, we could use our words, but our actions don't follow. And so Paul's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say something and then don't do it. And if we're honest tonight, that's you and that's me. That we can be guilty of that. 
We all seen that video, maybe you haven't, of that, that toddler, that little child on YouTube, like big smile, and he got, you know, and the, the mom's filming, and he goes like, and she's like trying to get her son to say that he loves her, and he, and he eventually says, I only love mommy when she gives me cookies. You, you ever seen that? It's terrible if you think about it. But he's cute and he gets away with it. But if I did that, I only love mom when she gives me money. You'd all be like, get him off the stage. He doesn't belong here. You know? Like, I'm an adult now. I, I bought napkins and a, you know, a doormat thing today. You know? So that's, that's where I'm at in life. But if we think about a child, like a child is like, look, I love you when you give me things. Like, I love you when it benefits me. And I, I don't know about you, but as, as adults, we're not like that toddler where we're up front with it. We know how to, like, phrase it, be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm busy today. But really, it's just like, it doesn't benefit me to love you. See, our, our hearts can sometimes, and I think a lot of it is us just trying to protect ourselves. But tonight, we need to try to see beyond that. And I think... The thing that we kind of see that hurts the most is not maybe what people do. For me personally, it's not what someone does. It's what someone doesn't do. And I call this the sin of omission. You know, on a test, when you took a test, it's like you can omit four questions. You're like, yes, and you write omit in big letters on that, that question. Maybe if you had that opportunity, you enjoyed it. Like in life, I feel like a lot of times when people do things to each other and they get hurt by it, at least you know what they're thinking. At least you know what happened. But when it comes to the sin of omission, it's like it's what people don't do. Hey, man, I love you. I'm here for you. And then they don't call. Hey, man, hey, I need help with this. Can you, yeah, sure. And you call them and there's, there's nothing there. When someone, and you kind of think back, well, didn't they say that they would always be there for me? See, I think a lot of times in church or in a community, that the sin of omission can almost be worse. I would rather someone tell me how they feel and, and kind of even curse me out if that is the case than somebody not love me. And see, here tonight, the biggest hypocrite in the room is me. Because this is something that God has been slamming into my life for the better part of this year. That this message, if maybe you all walked away, you're like, yeah, it's okay. This message is for me. And, and as I've been kind of learning how to love, I've been learning how to forgive, I've been learning to just open myself up because honestly, I want to hide sometimes. Because as a pastor, you get a lot of I love you, man. It's, hey, I love you, man. Great message, great job. But you don't get a lot of love. This is me, not me complaining. I'm just saying this is life. And I, I don't think I'm alone, and I think a lot of us struggle in this room. I, th- I don't think any of us are different. I think we're all on the same playing field and maybe this is why we can feel so disconnected because we hide behind our words and we hide behind our comfort zones and we made fellowship to be something cheap when it really is something so much better and so what the bible is saying here is like look if if i'm devoted to you in brotherly love then i'm going to serve you and you're going to serve me if i consider your opinion to be better than my own. You know what? Maybe our needs won't perfectly be met. But they'll be met. Maybe there's going to be compromise back and forth, but we're going to see some healthy relationships forming. Maybe if we're honoring one another, if we're serving God like these scriptures are talking about, like if you read this, the scriptures, it's like, man, if we all follow this, 
I don't think we'd be as hurt or as, lo- as alone as we can sometimes feel. It's like the more I grow up, the more I realize I read the Bible and I'm like, yeah, this is like if we just follow this, like things would be better. Whoa, you know, like, wow. I mean, you learn that in Sunday school, but you grow up and you're like, I'm still learning the same lesson. And so we just have to leave our comfort zones a little bit. And I'm right there with you guys. And so the second aspect that we see in this text is that we are to love and serve beyond our words. Sometimes we're going to say, hey, whatever you need, but we need to follow up with that person. Sometimes if you are that person, man, let people love you. Let people serve you. Because that grows you. That grows my faith and that grows yours. And so let's continue. Let's continue reading and see what we can find here. In verse 14, it says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So this doesn't get any easier to do. <laughs> Bless and do not curse. I don't know about you, but when someone persecutes me, like I, I, I want like I want someone to stand beside me and be like, yeah, you were wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like we all kind of like turn into those little kids. And in VBS, or I'm sorry, Kids Week. And we're just like, yeah, yeah, you were wrong. Let's get them, you know. Because we want justice. But that doesn't go well, does it? And so we need to realize when we read this that when we are blessing those who hurt us, it's not okaying what they did. We're not saying here tonight, hey, like, just be open and vulnerable. Let people take advantage of you. Let people hurt you. That's not what this message is all about. See, there's going to be certain relationships in your life that you're going to have to use a lot of wisdom on. Because there's no cut and dry formula for people. Because people are unpredictable. I'm unpredictable. You're unpredictable. And so there's no like, hey, just do this in this situation, do this in this situation, and you're all set. And so tonight, if someone is hurting you repeatedly, the Bible tells us to forgive, to let go of that bitterness, but maybe you don't open yourself up to be hurt again. Maybe you have to kind of just let them earn back that trust, or maybe there's in extreme situations, you just have to let them go altogether. And so that's the disclaimer for here tonight. But if we're looking at this, when, when we're cursing someone, what we're doing, what are we doing? We're rehearsing the hurt over and over again in our hearts and our minds. And that keeps what? The offense alive. That keeps the bitterness kind of brewing in our heart. And what Doug was talking about in the series before this, in Broken Hearted, he was saying that bitterness is a poison. And so we have that going on inside us. And so when God kind of tells us, look, bless and don't curse, blessing looks a lot like maybe praying for the person that hurt you. Maybe trying to put yourself in their shoes and understand, you know what, maybe they're just broken maybe they're just so hurt that that why would they do that other than that and we need to realize that we come from the same spot if we are following the device earlier in the scripture that we read of thinking of ourselves with sober judgment and we're gonna realize look i'm broken that person's broken we both need jesus no one's better than each other so when we pray for that person maybe we begin to get compassion for that person we grow in our faith and we realize something they're broken And broken people hurt people. But you know what? I'm broken too. So we can walk away from that experience when we're blessing those who hurt us. We can walk away 
realizing something, hey, I need grace. I think Jess Lucci posted something on Instagram um, that said something like, grace is ridiculous until you need some, or something like that. I remember reading that and being like, yeah, grace is ridiculous. But then when I need it and you need it, we're like, no, 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 please, please bring it. And so tonight, this scripture just reminded us of that truth. Let's continue. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. So we can read this scripture and we're like, okay, yeah, if possible, if it depends on me, we're going to be at peace. All right, sweet. I'm going to humble myself. We're going to take care of stuff and we'll be done. But see, peace, if we think about it, is not the absence of struggle. Well, it is. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that in order to get peace, sometimes it, it, it takes work. Sometimes, sometimes it takes blood, sweat, and tears. It doesn't come easy sometimes. And see, a lot of us, we can kind of hide behind the whole, hey, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm a non-confrontational person. I can do this, where it's like, you know, I see a, a, a gaping hole in someone's attitude or what they're doing. I'm kind of like, you know what, I don't want to confront that. I want to keep the peace. I don't want to stir the pot. And in the name of peace, we allow chaos to continue. Rick Warren calls this in The Purpose Driven Life that we try to preserve this false sense of peace. I'm going to give an example. Um, it's going to be completely fictitious. So we're going to create a person's name, Steve. Let's just say Steve. Okay, if your name is Steve, love you. It has nothing to do with you. If you're sitting next to a Steve, this is not about him. So let's say there's this guy named Steve, right? And he's just, he's just loud. He's angry. He's just, he's, you know, makes jokes, hurts people's feelings, right? A lot of times, if that guy Steve is in your friend group, you can look at that guy Steve and you can say, oh, you know what, it, it's just, that's just how he is. That's just how he is. It, you know, I know he said that hurtful thing to you, but that's just how he is. Let's just kind of like sweep it under the rug because after all, we want to preserve the peace. That's how we can think sometimes. But what happens? Everyone gossips about Steve. Steve maybe isn't aware of his actions, isn't aware of how he treats people. And we just talk about him behind his back. We treat him different. We ostracize him. See, see, we need to be people that live above that. We're not loving Steve in that example. I can be honest with you guys that the times I've grown in my life the most is when a friend sat across from me and said, you're being a jerk. Andrew, like, I, I, I see what you're doing here, and, and, and in love, okay, that's huge, in love, they say, Andrew, look, I love you, this is what I see, you're not doing this right, and they call me out on a specific situation or thing. Whoever Brendan Hodick is, is like, I can cry thinking about that guy, because so many times where I felt my life change, God spoke through him, sat across from me at a table, said, you need to change this, and I'm like, you're right, I do. And in that moment, we could say, ooh, we're trying to preserve the peace. Or we could say that he was loving, he was kind. And see, tonight, sometimes peace may be a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to have that conversation. And what I'm not saying is just like walk around, bash people in the head, like, you're terrible, you're terrible. Hey, you stink, you know. That's not the point. That, if anything, destroys fellowship. It's like, man, I don't want to go to church ever again. Someone told me I was terrible 16 times. You all come up to me after like, great message, but you're terrible, Andrew. And so what we kind of see in that is this, is that in that, I'm going to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. 
Peace requires work. And so the third aspect that I want us to get out of this text is this, that we are to extend mercy and grace. We are to extend mercy and grace. Here's just a quote. Wherever it is. If fellowship were a house, the foundation it's built on is mercy and grace. If fellowship was a house, it's built on mercy and grace. And so as we kind of conclude here tonight, this is what we want church to look like. This is how we want it to feel. And maybe you're sitting here like, wow, you know, it's not completely like that. And yeah, it's not. Church is not a perfect place. And if, and if you're not a Christian here tonight, maybe you're coming in and you're like, wow, these people are messed up. And I just want to let you know, yeah, we are. Whether you're in church or not, we all need Jesus. We're all broken people. And, the, and if we think of ourselves with sober judgment, we can realize that it's Jesus who redeems us, who helps us with our flaws. And he, then he commands us beyond that to help each other. And so what we want to do is we want to aim at this. And I believe as we do that, as we change our definition of what fellowship looks like, we're all going to grow. We're all going to feel supported. We're all going to see things change. So as we recap tonight, we are to use our gifts to benefit the whole. We're to love and serve beyond our words. And we need to extend mercy and grace. And the one thing that I want us to get from here tonight is this, is that our faith grows in true fellowship with others. Our faith grows in true fellowship with others. And so tonight, what if we all decided that we would change our personal definition of what fellowship is? Because here's the thing, when we change how we think, we change how we act, I mean how we feel. And when we change how we feel, then we change how we And so tonight, definitions matter. And we need to realize that our faith grows in true fellowship with others. And I just want to dream for a second. Like, what would our church look like? Like, what would our families look like? What would our friendships look like if we just, like, lovingly cared for one another, were invested deeper in each other's lives? Because that's what it's about. And maybe some some of you guys need to be bold tonight. You know, a kid... Doesn't, it falls down and the parents run over, right? And maybe we've, we've taken that mindset of, it's like, when I'm hurt, like, people should run to me. And maybe tonight, as awkward as it may be, you got to go up to someone and say, hey, you know, like I joked in the announcements, messed up in the announcements, like, I need help. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because I need help tonight, too. And I need you. You need me. We need each other. Because our faith grows and true fellowship with others. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your great love for us. We're so grateful, God, that you saw us in our broken state. You entered our world. You loved us anyway. That you took a cross You shed blood on behalf of our sins. That is the gospel. That's what started our faith, is your love. It's a cross. And tonight, God, we thank you that from the cross comes a beautiful community of people 
that can encourage one another to live, to follow you. God, we just pray it'd be less about rules and regulations, but more about love and just serving you. Thank you, God, that as we come to you tonight, God, that you are faithful to maneuver our hearts, to, to lead us to truth, to lead us to growing in you. Like, we're not alone here tonight. We have you, God, first and foremost. God, that may we go to you. May you fuel our faith. But God, thank you that you've given us each other. And though it may not be perfect, and though we need to extend mercy and grace, as we're bold, as we put one foot in front of the other, God, you're faithful to bless these relationships. You're faithful to grow us in ways that only you can grow us by living and working with people around us. And so tonight, Jesus, we just come before you. Whatever stage of our faith and whatever stage of our belief, we just ask you for help, God. We ask you would lead us, guide us as a church. That we love those like us and those who are least like us. And we'd see you, God, be honored and glorified in the way we care about one, one another. And we just thank you. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus.